Hello everybody, welcome to a special episode of Thief's Monthly Movie Loot. This is one I've been planning to do for a while. Here, instead of talking about the usual loot of films I've seen during the week, I'm going to talk about a specific scene from a film I love and break it apart, analyze it and see why it works. As I was brainstorming with this, I had a lot of ideas on what film and what scene to start with and narrowed it down to two options, but considering this is the first of these special episodes, I thought it was best to start where things started, at least for me. The scene I'm going to analyze is John Doe's Surrender from David Fincher's Seven. When I said this is where things started for me, I mean that Seven was one of those films that really blew me away and showed me that films could really do things differently and sweep the rug from under your feet in terms of shock and surprise. I saw Seven back in the day, I think it was 1995, but was on video. A mixed group of friends met at a house for a movie night and one of us, I don't remember if it was me, chose Seven. And I remember most of us were really into it, were on the edge of our seats all through the film. But when that whole last act unfolded, it was just boom, unbelievable. Everybody was blown away by it. The film stuck in my mind since. I've seen it dozens of times afterwards and to this day I consider it my second favorite film ever. Now I must warn you right now this will be an in-depth discussion so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen Seven I strongly urge you to turn this off and go see it now. As of now it is streaming free on Fubo, Showtime, DirecTV and Sci-Fi. See it, I assure you you won't be disappointed. So let's begin. You like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to come inside five years. Not here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves a homicide. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Let's finish it. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow.
Just to give you a bit of a background on the film, Seven follows Mills and Somerset, played by Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, two newly paired detectives that are tracking down a serial killer that's using the seven deadly scenes as a motif for his murders. Aside from Pitt and Freeman, the other most notable performers are Gwyneth Paltrow as Mills' wife, Arlie Ermey as the police captain, and Kevin Spacey as the enigmatic killer that goes by the name of John Doe. One interesting bit of trivia, Spacey wasn't initially included in promotions and isn't credited in the cover or in the opening credits to maintain his identity as a surprise. The first time we actually see him is an hour and a half into the film in the scene that we're about to discuss. Seven was David Fincher's second feature film. Coming after the failure and frustration of working on Alien 3, Fincher has said that he had not read a script for a year and a half and is quoted as saying, I'd rather die than do another movie. Remember, he comes from being a music video director. New Line, who produced the film, had already rejected the original ending with the head in the box, opting for a more conventional, action-y, detective-esque ending. But in one of those strokes of luck, when they sent the script to Fincher for reviewing, they accidentally sent him the original one with the head in the box, and Fincher agreed to do it. Seven is not a conventional thriller, at least not like others we know of. It doesn't have big action set pieces or deadly shootouts. As it is, the film features only one on-screen death, which occurs at the very ending, at a distance. Most of the murders we see we witness after they have occurred in dark rooms or through pictures. What we get is a constant sense of dread and what the fuck is going on here as we see the two detectives try to figure out the case while also trying to figure out how to work with each other. The film features a lot of moments of conversation between them which are peppered by an uneasiness and awkwardness since they don't like each other at first. But the constant all throughout is that dread that sense that things aren't quite right with this case or in this city at all. The film does have two notable spurts of action, one when the police raids the apartment of Victor, who we find out is one of those victims. That is one scene that still gives me the creeps every time I see it. And the second one is when Mills and Somerset happen to find Doe's apartment just as he's arriving, which results in a crazy chase through building floors, windows, fire escapes, rain and alleys. However, the third spurt of action is the one I want to talk about, and that's the scene when John Doe calmly walks into the police precinct and surrenders himself. This scene occurs after an hour and a half of the film and kickstarts what I think is one of the best and most intense last acts on film. In analyzing that scene, I'm going to talk about three things. First, setup. Listen, I've decided to stay on till this is done. I figure one of two things will happen. Either we'll get John Doe, or he'll finish his series of seven, and this case will go on for years. Hey, man, you don't have to do me any favors. Thank you, but I'm I requesting get it. that you keep me on as your partner for a few more days. You'll be doing me a favor. Remember I mentioned that one constant in the film is the perennial dread and uncomfortability? Well, one of the ways Fincher conveys this is through rain and darkness. Most of the film takes place in dark rooms and alleys, with a never-ending rain falling all the time. 
during the first hour and a half of the film, there's not a single time where it is either raining or dark or both, except when this scene starts. Coming right after the Pride murder, it features Mills and Somerset parking in front of the precinct and for the first time, it's day and it's sunny. And there's a bit of a funny moment here because if you look closely, just as Mills is getting out of the car, he looks to the sky as if wondering, what the fuck, it stopped raining? So that's another way in which Fincher gets across the notion that this day isn't normal, that what's about to happen is not normal. This is not an ordinary day. And as they walk to the precinct, Somerset is telling Mills how he plans to stick around until they finish the case, but part of what he's saying is actually setting you up against what will actually happen. I mean, Somerset is telling Mills that either John Doe will finish his seven murders or he'll continue to kill and it will just go on and on. But when you think of what will happen, that he's about to surrender when we haven't seen him quote-unquote finish his masterpiece, it's great because it sweeps the rock from under you and helps to heighten the surprise. So as they walk in, a taxi parks in front and you see a man calmly step out. Fincher's direction here is pretty cool because he's filming Mills and Somerset from a distance, like from the other side of the street. So when the taxi appears, it parks right in front of us and when the guy steps out, by the way, he's filming close to the ground so we can see his face. But when the guy steps out, you immediately perk up. Something is going to happen here. The combination of that dread and the body language of that man as he steps down is unmistakable. Then the scene switches to the inside as Mills and Somerset are walking in and they're walking past the front desk. And here there's another interesting bit that will probably pass unnoticed the first time around, but on repeated viewings can make you go, holy shit. As Mills passes by the front desk, someone hands him a note telling him his wife called. Get yourself an answering machine. Hey, we're here. Wonderful. Your wife called before. Get yourself an answering machine. Again, on a first viewing, you wouldn't even think of that message. But once you know what happened, it makes you wonder, under what circumstances did she call Mills? Could he have help? As a matter of fact, during the next scenes, there are three passing mentions of Tracy, including this one, which is way more than she's mentioned or brought up during the rest of the film. The second one is when they're talking to those lawyer, my wife doesn't even have cable. And the third one is when he's with Somerset shaving their chest. I keep coming home late, my wife's gonna think something's up. So it's an interesting way to remind you that this guy is married, he has a wife. As Mills and Somerset head for the stairs, you see the man walking behind them, limping and talking to them. Detective? Detective? But he's speaking in such a meek, low voice that they don't even pay attention to him. Until he goes... Detective! You're looking for me. Boom, and that's when the camera focuses on him and you see his bloody hands and shirt. Once again, that dread kicks in and that sense of what the fuck is going on here kicks in because you're wondering what is happening? What is this man going to do? Is he going to kill someone? Does he have a bomb? Why is he surrendering? Another interesting thing is those screams. The detectives don't pay attention to him until he screams. Obviously, he was behind them and was speaking with a low voice, but it also seems like a bit of a pre-reference or foreshadowing to something that John Doe says later. Wanting people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer, and then you'll notice you've got their full attention. To me, this moment is representative of that in how people don't even notice this man with blood all over his hands and clothes until he screams. There's that nod to the apathy team that's all through the film that people just don't care, don't notice the person next to them. 
Obviously, you all know that nothing happens here. Doe only asks for his lawyer and is arrested, but the tension of that scene as Doe puts out his hands and everybody goes crazy, just like the audience, they don't believe this has happened. The intensity of Mills as he goes down, 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 as Somerset asks for everybody to step back and all the officers are scrambling. There's also another subtle hint of the things to come, because Doe says to Mills, I know you. But with everything that's happening, this is a comment that pretty much goes unnoticed. We later find out why he said that, and when the poor police officer is putting the cuffs on him, you see he ends up all covered in blood, which adds to that sense of wondering what the heck is going on here. All of those elements add up to a perfect setup for the scene, as well as the things that will happen in the next half hour. In addition to the setup, the second thing I want to talk about is direction. As far as Fincher's direction goes, I already mentioned a couple of things in the previous part, but he does a great job of handling the camera, from the way he shoots John Doe as he steps out of the taxi, from the waist down, not showing his face just yet, to the way that he shoots him from back as he walks behind Mills and Somerset. That approach just adds to the mystery and tension of the scene. The guy is so close, right behind him, what is he going to do? There's a great take as Mills and Somerset are walking up the stairs just when Doe is about to scream that puts the detectives in the foreground in the stairs and Doe in the background still blurry right as he screams. It's a great shot that changes as the detectives focus on him and the scene changes to a zoom or close-up of Doe with his bloody hands out saying, you're looking for me. It's great because Fincher is revealing the killer to the audience at the same moment as he does to the detectives and that view of Doe from a distance blurry to the zoom close-up along with the chilling scream is probably one of the best bad guy reveals I can think of. It's worth mentioning the excellent use of the score from Howard Shore. His score is not intrusive but carries that sense I've mentioned over and over of constant dread and the way the music swells up as the scene progresses is perfect. In addition to the setup of the scene and Fincher's direction, the last thing I want to talk about is the performances. In my opinion, not enough is said about the performances of this film, at least from Pitt and Freeman. I remember that Pitt was a bit dissed back in the day for his performance, but I think he's excellent all through. He perfectly carries that young intensity and cockiness, which is juxtaposed with Somerset's more introspective and world-weary demeanor. All of that is seen on this scene too, as we see Somerset pondering the possibility of staying until the case is solved, while Mills is assuring him he doesn't need to do that, that he doesn't need his favor. After all, he's Serpico, you know? Once again, we see those qualities of the characters and the performances the moment that Doe screams and surrenders himself. Mills immediately jumps up and draws his gun, while Somerset just looks confused and befuddled while trying to protect the people around. What's your fucking move? On the fucking floor. Keep away from him! On the fucking floor! I know you. Now! Get out! Get down! On your stomach, you piece of shit! Now! All the way! All the way, fucker! Down! Faster! Faster! Faster, fucker! Now! Toes on the ground! Jesus Christ. What the fuck is this? I'd like to speak to my lawyer, please. God damn it! The look in Somerset's face, as Doe is laying down on the floor, might be the face of the audience once again, trying to figure what is going on here, while Mills is just hyperventilating with adrenaline. 
But I think there's no doubt that the real star of the scene and the film is Kevin Spacey as John Doe. Now, I don't want to dwell too much on Spacey, but regardless of recent events, I don't think anybody can deny that through the 90s, he had one of the best acting runs any actor could have. I mean, The Usual Suspects, Seven, LA Confidential, American Beauty, A Box Life, two Oscars, among many other awards. So in this film, he's not introduced until this moment, but for the next half hour, he owns the screen. The way he portrays Doe as a calm, methodical sociopath that looks meek but is very much in control is masterful. Like I said before, everything from his body language, the way he walks, his voice, his posture, the way he stands is perfect for the role. So those are my talks on that excellent scene. Like I said before, what follows is, in my opinion, one of the best last acts on any film and also one of the most shocking twist endings ever. The tension and mystery that permeates during the last half hour is perfectly set up by what preceded, but in great part by this scene. Finally, if you remember, I said earlier that the studio had opted for a more conventional ending, but after Brad Pitt got on board, he was very protective of the original ending, even though the studio kept pushing, thinking that the head-in-the-box ending would be too much, Pitt and Fincher stuck to their guns. It is said that Pitt even threatened to quit if they changed the ending, and considering he was seen as the hot star and the box office draw, well, the studio gave up. The ending we got is now considered one of the best, but I think a huge part of what makes the ending so effective is this scene we've been talking about. So, thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Tiff's Monthly Movie Dude. If you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at TiffCGT, T-H-I-E-F-C-G-T, or on Letterboxd as Tiff12. Also, stay tuned for my next regular episode, which will come out next week. In the meantime, where are you going to be? Around. I'll be around.